We started a series a couple of weeks ago entitled More Than Meets the Eye. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 is our theme verse for this series where it says this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And the key thought for the series is simply, the real world is the simultaneous existence of both the natural and the spiritual realms. So we've really been reminding ourselves that the real world isn't the seen world. As a matter of fact, Scripture says it's the one that's temporary. But the real world is both the seen and the unseen, right? And how they live simultaneously with one another. And because of that, I'm one of those people that, that really says there's more than meets the eye in virtually every situation that you face. If you're the kind of person, you're getting ready to sell your home, I don't think that, that you have the right, like people that aren't walking with the Lord, to just go, hey, let's just do it. I think we constantly pray about every decision that we make, whether it's buying a home, whether it's an investment that we're making, people that we're allowing our children to spend time with. All of it is a matter of prayer because there is physical and spiritual going on at the same time perpetually. We need the direction of the Lord. Now, with that, we got focus for a little bit on healing because one of the challenges that we have in our Christian walk we know the promises of God say that there are physical healing that's available and yet there are times that we've prayed and it hasn't happened for this person or it didn't happen here and we're wondering why and rather than just going it didn't happen and I don't get it I thought it would be fun if we took a little bit of time to examine in the scriptures the many different ways that healings do come because God gives healing so many different ways. And I want to equip you and empower you because whatever situation you might be going through, it might take this particular knowledge of healing for you to release into your situation. So we've already looked at four of them. And Amber, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and just roll all four of them out there real quickly. They were the healing opportunities that we talked about last week. I'm not going to read them all off to you because every one of you in this room can read. So there they are. We got started with this last week and we focused on these. If you want to take a picture of them, look up the verses later, feel free to do that. But I'm going to kind of start wrapping up the fourth point that we only got to spend about half of my notes in. And I'm going to kind of finish up the fourth point and then we'll move into completely new stuff for today. Dealing with spiritual footholds bring healing. And this is from Ephesians chapter 4, and we don't have the verse, I'll just share it with you, where Paul said, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give place to the devil, or do not give the devil a foothold or a stronghold. The apostle wouldn't have been used by God to tell us, don't do something that we couldn't do, Right? He would not have told us, don't give place to the devil if it was impossible for a Christian to give place to the devil. And I've heard people say, well, I'm walking with the Lord. There's no way that the enemy could get a foothold within my life. Then why would the scriptures say to guard yourself so that the enemy doesn't get a foothold in your life? We need to be guarded. We need to be careful about that. So with that said, I thought about some things that I wanted to share with you. You can jot these down. What are some indications that a foothold might be in one's life? Now, this could be a whole series as well, but I thought about the top four of them. What are some indications that a foothold might be in a Christian's life? Number one is this, the inability to overcome temptation. 
That could be, Pastor Brad, why would you say that? Well, let me remind you of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Most of you probably know it. It says this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. Are you ready for this? He will not let you be tempted above what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. How many face temptations? Okay, we all do. If there is a temptation in your life that you use the vocabulary of, I can't overcome this one. This one gets me every time. I've never been able to get over this hump. If you use that language about that, there's a good chance that's a stronghold in your life. Because God's word says there is nothing that you face that you can't overcome. Nothing. So if you're facing something that wins over and over and over again, I would say, God, is that a foothold in my life? Is that a foothold in my life that needs to be dealt with? Okay? There is natural temptation, and then there is supernatural temptation. Every one of us go through temptation. We all face it. But there are times when that temptation itself almost drives you toward it, and it becomes a driving force in your life. I'm here to tell you right now, that's because your enemy's got a place within and he's trying to control not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And you need to say, Lord, would you expose this? And I, one thing I know about strongholds and footholds, they're kind of like cockroaches. When you turn the light on them, they try to run for the corners and the shadows because exposure means death. How many of you see a cockroach, cockroach in your house? It's gone. Okay? You don't fiddle with it. You see one, you're like, that thing is dead. That's the way footholds are. Let's say that, that I've got a foothold of gossip in my life, that I, I'm like, I just can't help it. I just talk about people, and I realize it later, and I just feel so, and then I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again. And then I'm like, Lord, I believe that this is a foothold in my life. Would you expose to me how this is in there? How's this operating in my life? And I realize that I'm holding unforgiveness towards someone in my heart. Now, how many know that God's word says that as we forgive, we're forgiven? I'm holding unforgiveness in my heart towards someone. And the Lord helps me and I pray forgiveness and I release, release my anger and, and pray grace and mercy and blessing on that person's life. And when I give them forgiveness, guess what? Now I can deal with that stronghold of gossip. Because in that little illustration about a cockroach and the light coming on, you know what the shadows are? You know what the, the dark places are in your heart? They're areas of unforgiveness. And if you're walking around with unforgiveness toward others in your life, strongholds will hide behind that unforgiveness because they don't want you. But once you deal with that unforgiveness, it's like going into a room without corners or shadows. The enemy has no place to hide any longer and you can deal with it. So I'm here to say, if you're, you're like, I just can't. If you're, if you're there I just, and fill in the blank, whatever it may be. Well, I, I know what God's word says. No temptation can overcome you. That greater is the spirit than, that is in you than the spirit that's in the world. That it's not by might or power, but it's by the spirit of God. That, that the lion of the tribe of Judah lives in you. I mean, do we all believe this? Can the lion of the tribe of Judah overcome gossip? Can the king of kings overcome depression? 
Can our resurrected Savior defeat lust? Can, can my God that rose from the grave on the third day overcome overeating? You better believe it, folks. And if we're in a situation where I can't, I can't, we are, we are making the wrong confession, but you're probably doing it based on the fact that a foothold slipped into your life. Lord Jesus, would you reveal any areas of footholds within our lives so that they can be expelled in Jesus' name? And God, I pray over all of us today, if we are holding unforgiveness toward anyone, would you bring them to our mind? so that we can forgive them in your name. We're not just gonna ask you to help us forgive them, but that in Jesus' name we will forgive them. Forgiveness does not justify what someone did. If you've got someone that you need to forgive that betrayed you, forgiveness doesn't justify the betrayal. It allows you to move forward with Jesus knowing that betrayal happened. You can't go back and change what already took place, but you can change from this day forward the way that you walk it out. You, you can do it. There's not one person in this room that by the grace of God can't forgive anything that's happened to you. And I'm not making that as a blank statement as a callous pastor. I'm making that as a real guy that has had to walk through giving real forgiveness to people that, to be quite honest with you, I said, Lord, they don't deserve it. But neither did I. Forgiveness isn't about whether we deserve it or not. It's about mercy. It's about being like Jesus. Okay? Number two, an incorrect perception of God would be another indication that a stronghold is in your life. If you always see God the wrong way. And it's interesting, I have people talk to me about their view of God and I'm like, did you get that out of the scriptures? <laughs> did, did that come from God's word? Did that come from the Holy Spirit? He is not an angry master ready to crunch you the next time that you make a mistake. But he sent his son, who was a good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. He is sovereign, but he's not controlling. And he rules and reigns in righteousness. And he knows how many hairs you have on your head, not because he wants to be all up in your business, but because he loves every detail of your life. What's your perception of God? Number two, or number three, an incorrect perception of oneself. Genesis 3.1, by the way, is the proof text for that. It's when the enemy came uh, to the Adam and Eve and said, did God really say, and then he started lying. I want you to know if the enemy's talking to you about God, he's lying. You can just accept that. Did God really say, and he, from the very first moment, he was a liar. An incorrect perception of oneself that we haven't been transformed and renewed in our mind. And then uh, the last one that I'll share is... And this is, this is tough, but perpetual bitterness. Hebrews 12.5 says that we need to guard against a bitter root that would grow up and spring forth. Listen now, unforgiveness is the conditioned soil 
for bitterness to take hold. Unforgiveness is the perfect soil for bitterness to become a root in one's life. We have got to be quick to give forgiveness to others. Once, I love how the author talked about it. He referred to bitterness as a root because he wanted us to have an understanding of how that thing will hold on. Anybody else ever had to get rid of a yucca plant? I mean, you need the grace of the Lord Jesus to get rid of a yucca plant. Uh, back when I was growing up in the late 70s, at my, yuccas were the big deal. Everybody had to have yucca plants in their landscaping. And my mom had yucca plants. Every, and when she finally went, we got to get rid of these yuccas. I remember dad finally being out there pouring gas and shooting flames on these things. Burn, burn, burn. My brothers and I running around in our underwear, which is what you do when you live in the country and you're 15. It's kind of weird. But nonetheless, there we were. I was crazy. You couldn't get rid of them. The roots went deep. It was crazy. Have you ever went to just pull out a dandelion? You're like, wow, that goes deep. It's crazy how deep the roots of weeds go. And bitterness is a weed to your soul. Okay? And if you're, if you're, if you're just walking and you're bitter, God's word says that fresh water and bitter water doesn't come from the same spring. If you stand here one moment and you're blessing the Lord and you're walking out the next moment and you're cursing the guy at Shop and Save for scanning your item wrong, the great tragedies of the first world that we, we live within, right? I've got to wait three minutes for a price check. Send me to heaven right now. How can I deal with this tragedy, right? It's amazing. I wanted pepper jack cheese on my sandwich and you gave me American cheese. God, save the queen. This is horrible. It's amazing the stuff that we let affect us. And I think that it really shows that a lot of us have more bitterness than we're willing to admit that we have. Got real quiet. It's either a quiet of disagreement or maybe a little bit of a, I mean, we, we need to be willing, folks. We need to deal. I had to deal with my bitterness toward the Cubs. The enemy will use anything. He'll use anything. Now, I'm not surprised that the enemy will use all of this stuff to not only hinder my thought life, to hinder my perception of who I am in Christ, but to hinder my physical body. Strongholds are magnets for sickness. So there's a stronghold of a spirit of, of fear or, or anger or lust within your life. How do you know that like spirits draw like spirits? And they just call out to spirits of infirmity. Hey, we've got a foothold. Come on in. Let's work this guy over. Let's work this lady over for a while. So let's deal with these things quickly. And I bless you today that if there's anyone in your life that you need to forgive, that today the Lord's bringing that to your mind. And he might have already did it when we prayed earlier. And it's time to forgive them. Not because what they did was justifiable, but so that you can live in freedom. Let's go to the fifth point. A cheerful heart brings healing. A cheerful heart brings healing. Proverbs 17:22 says, "A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones." I love this text. And one thing that I've observed, I really listen to and pay attention to people that are used in gifts of healing. And one thing that I've noticed about them, and I haven't heard any of them say this about themselves. But one thing that I've noticed about them, you know what? 
They're happy people. They're joyful. People that are used in gifts of healing are joyful people. And they walk with that. And I've, I've seen people that have been prayed for that, I mean, they're paralyzed, they're, they're shriveled up, their body is broken, and this person praying is just smiling and saying, Father loves you, and we're going to release the anointing of the Holy Spirit on you. And in my natural mind, I'm looking at him going, dude, you don't have a clue. He's just smiling, oh, God's so great. He loves you, he loves your body. He made your body. He can heal your body. This isn't going to be a problem. I'm like, what? And it's, you know, you see this enough, eventually it starts to break through. And you're like, people that are used in healing gifts are joyful people. They're happy people. It makes sense to me that people that are used in, in healing gifts would partner with this. How much more do we need to partner with this if we need healing? Now, let me break this down in the Hebrew. The word that's been translated as cheerful is also translated most of the times as joyful. A joyful heart is good. Lots of times in the Hebrew, that's translated as happy, okay? And the word medicine, most of the time in Hebrew, is translated as healing. So I'm going to read it to you more literally. A joyful heart gives happy healing. Isn't that great? A joyful heart gives happy healing. One of the things that we can do, we can partner with the joy of the Lord. And we can know that as we partner with the joy of the Lord, it brings a happy healing into my life and it can bring a happy healing into the lives of those that need it as well. Can I get an amen on that? But a crushed spirit, a stricken spirit, the, Greek, or the Hebrew word there is ruach. The, a stricken spirit dries the bones. In other words, it takes life away. So if a, if a stricken spirit drives the bones, what does a joyful spirit do? A whole, a restored spirit. Here's some thoughts for you. If your spirit's been crushed, asking God to help your spirit, man will help your physical healing. I'm trying to get through this quickly, but I'm, I'm not making light of any of this. Has your spirit ever been crushed? When you found out that your wife was having the affair, or you found out that your sister's brother had left her, or you heard that a pastor that you loved had been unfaithful, or your children made choices that were so devastating to everything that you brought them up to walk in, or you were betrayed by your, whatever it may be, we face times that our spirit man gets crushed. I've been there. And we need to know that in those moments that when your spirit man's been hammered, the enemy, he does not play fair. And he will take that moment of your vulnerability to bring sickness upon you. I'll probably say this every time we talk about healing, but the thief does what? He comes to still kill and destroy. He's never satisfied. And it's not enough just to crush your spirit. He wants to take your health. He wants to take your life. Okay? So you've got to be aware. And I, you can't help yourself if your spirit got crushed in a moment. But in that moment when your spirit's been crushed, you've got to immediately look to the Lord and say, Lord, you're my strength. You're my healing. You're my hope. 
My hope was never in my best friend. My hope was in the Lord. My, my strong tower was never my spouse. My strong tower is the Lord Jesus Christ. My job was never Jehovah Jireh. God, you've always been Jehovah Jireh. Whatever it fa- that we face in our life, we reaffirm the strength and the truth and the goodness of the Lord. Number two, our adversary does not fight fair. He will attack you with sickness in moments when your spirit has been crushed. And number three, if a crushed spirit dries the bones, a healed spirit keeps them whole. God, may we walk with healthy spirits. Healthy spirits. I shared with some of you a few years ago, I was in prayer one time and the Lord showed me a vision. And in the vision, <laughs> it brought me back to the cartoon, The Little, uh, the Little Mermaid. Who saw it, All right? Do you remember, was it Ursula? that horrible sea monster lady that, right? Was it Ursula? You remember when she would capture people and she would put them in the, wasn't it in jars? And they just looked like shriveled, gray little souls because she literally took the life out of them and they were just gray souls. And I was in prayer and the Lord began to show me little gray souls everywhere. And I'm like, Lord, what are you showing me? And he said, those are the souls of my people that the enemy has sucked life out of them. Suck, speak life, speak life into my people. Folks, if we're not careful, we will allow the struggles and the tragedies of the earth to suck the life right out of our soul. But a healed spirit, man, it's gonna bring refreshing to the bones in a dry and weary land. Last thing I'm going to say, these principles of dealing with footholds and the joy of the Lord and, the, or, or excuse me, a happy heart being good medicine, I'm tell you this right now, the enemy knows this better than we do. We perish for lack of knowledge. We need to know our playbook. We need, that's why we're taking our time in healing on this area. We've got to learn this stuff. I think if I asked, how many of you believe God heals? Everybody in this room would say yes. Everybody would, right? But if I said, how many know the 30 different ways that we can discover that God brings healing? We'd be, what? 30? Are there 30? And honestly, there's more. I just grabbed ones that I spent an afternoon digging into and went, here's kind of the top ones that we need to deal with. Okay? How many remember the name Bill Belichick? You got to be a sports fan, yeah. How many know that Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots, knows the playbook of the other teams better than those teams do? He's a cheater. He's been known to be a cheater. Okay? It's, it's just been known for years. And things go all the way back to the Rams Super Bowl where they filmed our practice and they're like, they knew our playbook better than we did. Well, first of all, you better learn your own playbook. And I think about that when I think about the enemy. When I think about Satan, I think about Bill Belichick. <laughs> I think about somebody on the other team that knows my playbook better than I do. Now, I can't stop what he knows, but I can sure know mine through and through and walk it out. Okay? The enemy knows our Bible, folks. He knows it quite well. And he knows how to grab it and twist it. He knows how to grab it and guide us and and to lead us the wrong direction. We have got to know the word of God and to walk it out. Number six, 
The joy of the Lord brings healing. This goes so well with a happy heart giving healing. But the joy of the Lord brings healing. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Can I get an amen? And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you look this up and dig into it, and I'll share a little bit, they had lost the scriptures. There had been a season, things were so bad in Israel that they'd lost the scriptures. And when they were renovating the temple and redigging into some of the archives, they went, look, there's portions of the text that we didn't even know we had. And they began to read them. And when they read them, they went, oh my goodness, we are so off target. And what happened in rediscovering the scriptures of God, there was a, a proper repentance for going, oh Lord, we're sorry that we've been off target, but it went from a proper repentance to a spirit of condemnation. And the whole nation was grieving and they were continuing to grieve. We've missed it, we've blown it, we've let God down we, over and over. And finally, Nehemiah steps up and he's like, stop it, stop it. Get something to eat, get a sweet drink. And if somebody can't afford it, make sure you give them something too. We need to celebrate, not because we were off target, because now God has once again lined us up with where he wants us to be. This is a sacred day, and it's his joy that's going to be our strength. This word for strength is strength, healing, restoration, deliverance. It's a huge word. The joy of the Lord is the healing of a nation. The joy of the Lord is the healing of a home. The joy of the Lord is the healing of your body. The joy of the Lord brings healing, restoration, and deliverance. We've got to stand on it. Here's a thought. Joy in the Lord is key to all types of healings, all types of strength. It goes hand in hand with having a happy heart. A joyful heart brings a happy healing. Don't you like that? A joyful heart brings a happy healing. Number seven. Obedience brings healing. I'm sorry. I'm going to say the opposite as well. I tend to be a positive guy, but I'll say the opposite as well. Disobedience can keep you from healing. The old school preachers, they would have just focused on the disobedience style. That's not my style, but it's a reality. If obedience brings healing, disobedience can keep you from receiving healing. Let's, let's look at uh, 2 Kings 5, 13 to 14. This series is difficult for me because I love to preach every point. And we're trying to give you some highlights. But this is a sermon. 2 Kings 5, 13 through 14. The background is there's this guy named Naaman. He's the head commander of the Aramean army. And he has leprosy. And this guy has won battles. He is a decorated war veteran. He has great respect throughout Aram. And not only is he known in his own country, he's known in other nations. But he's developed leprosy. And so they're like, hey, Elisha is a prophet of God. He's been used to heal. Why don't you go see Elisha? So Elisha, the prophet, is so well known that the commander of an army that's been fighting against Israel goes to Elisha to see if Elisha can help him with some healing. And Elisha says, hey, if you want to be healed, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. 
And Naaman's like, your river's disgusting. It's filthy. Why would I get in your water for healing? If I want to dip in water, I'm going to dip in the waters in my own nation. And he prepares to head out. And his servants speak up. And they go to him and they say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. When he obeyed the word of the Lord, healing was brought into his body. I am here to tell you right now, if he would not have been obedient, he would have went back home with leprosy. If he would have got in the water and just soaked for a while and said, you know what, I don't feel like dipping. I'm not really a dipper, but I do love a good soak. I just love a good soak. I'm just going to float here for a while and hang out. He wouldn't have been healed. If he would have went down for the fifth time and said, come on, I have been down five times. Nothing's changed. It doesn't say that his skin got a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And by the seventh time, even the cuticles look dynamic. It doesn't say that at all. When he came up the seventh time, his flesh was restored. I know there are times when you're being obedient to what the Lord's told you to do by praying a word of faith over someone over and over and you grow weary and you're like, I've been doing this and I've been doing this. You don't know when the seventh time is. And when I say seventh, I'm using that to refer to God's number seven, meaning a number of completion. You don't know the moment that God's going to complete the work. And I don't know why it works this way, but sometimes God completes the work on the first day when somebody dips seven times. Sometimes God completes the work on the 500th day. And I don't like that one as much because it takes longer and it seems to be more grueling on me. But the reality is I'm going, my job's to obey. That's my job. I'm going to obey. I'm going to trust and I'm going to do what the father told me to do. It's his job to give healing. It's his job to give restoration. Pastor Brad, why some quickly? Why? Well, remember, we're learning different reasons. We'll talk about spiritual gifts of healing if we're lucky by the end of this message today. If we're not lucky, we'll talk about it next week. So talking about spiritual gifts next week is unlucky is what I just said, and I didn't even really mean to do that. Here's a thought. Healing arrived after obedience was displayed. Not before. It arrived after obedience was displayed. I had another verse, and we're not going to put it up because it'll help me move on more quickly. But remember when the Israelites were going through the wilderness, and they were thirsty? And they came to a place, and they're like, oh, thank God, there's water. And then they went, it's bitter. And the Lord said to Moses, the same thing that you and I would have thought of, right? Hey, Mo, see that branch over there? Go get it, throw it in the water, everything will be fine. How many know that when your water doesn't taste good at home, if you just put a fern in the sink and just drink it, everything. Did you know that? No, there's no healing power in the branch. There's no healing power in a fern in the sink. The healing came because Moses was obedient to the word of the Lord. The Lord could have said, go grab that rock and skip it across the water and the waters would have been healed and they would have been healed. It wasn't about the branch. It was about obedience. Folks, we've got to do what the Lord tells us to do. 
He might tell you, you need to fast about this one. That's not fair. Josiah didn't have to fast. Well, this isn't about Josiah. It's about you. He might tell you, you need to march around your house seven times and declare healing over your household. And you're going to go, that, that's crazy, God. I'm going to look insane to my neighbors. You know what? I don't care. You know how insane my neighbors look? Some of them that mow with their shirts off. Those years passed a long time ago. Dear Father in heaven, that looks insane to me. 50 people sitting in a garage on a July night getting drunk together. I'm like, I don't even want to be outside. You're out there getting, this looks insane to me. If the Lord tells you walk around your house seven times and declare healing over your household, walk around your house. Do what he tells you to do. He wouldn't tell me to do that, really. So we're more special than Israel that he told to do all sorts of things. We're more special than, than all the other people that were spit on so their eyes could be healed or were told to go present themselves to the priest or were told to do this or that. They just obeyed what God told them to do. We need to be obedient. Some of us want healing with our rebellion. Some of us want healing with our idols. Lord, I want to be healed, and I need to be healed. And the Lord keeps saying, I want you to lay this out of your life. Get this out of your life. It's become an idol in your life. But Lord, I love that. It's my pet. That, I, that thing means a lot to me. It was passed down to me from my great-grandma to my grandma to my mom to me, and I like it. But you want your healing. Well, yeah, Lord, because these things are mutually exclusive. Oh, no, it's all connected. And I don't want you to walk in healing while walking in rebellion. I want the rebellion dealt with so that you can walk in healing, be obedient. Lay that idol down that I've asked you to lay down. Do the thing that I've called you to do. James 4, 17 says this, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, what? Misses the mark. Obedience brings healing. Say that with me. Obedience brings healing. Disobedience can prevent healing. Say it with me. Disobedience can prevent healing. It's true. I know that we're in a culture now where they say our choices don't matter. And they've been saying that long enough that we're starting to see the, the repercussions of telling people that their choices don't matter. But they do. And they do in your walk with the Lord as well. You're not going to magically become spiritually strong tomorrow because I doused you with some holy water on the way out today. Okay? You're going to become spiritually strong by walking out the principles of God day in and day out and saying, yes, Lord, to the things that he speaks to you. Are you getting anything out of this today? Okay, I feel like I'm rushing, but I want to get lots of material to you. Number eight, compassion brings healing. And yes, I put this in here after talking about obedience. Because there are times that just compassion does it. This, this passage is, one of the, in my opinion, it's one of the most beautiful in the New Testament that I'm getting ready to share with you because I know what Jesus was going through. And in Matthew 14, verses 13 through 14, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
Does anybody remember the context of Matthew 14? What had Jesus just heard? That his cousin had had his head chopped off. Literally, he just heard. The report just got to him. John the Baptist has been executed. What was Jesus' response? He wanted to get away. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wanted to get away? Have you ever told you about Hawaii? <laughs> It'll mess you up, man. It, we were driving to school the other day, and I said, Emma, look how, how, how clear these skies are. They're Hawaii clear. And she started crying. She said, Dad, they're not Hawaii clear. They are not Hawaii clear. So we've got, a, we've got a little broken spirit we're going to have to deal with at our house. But we can't because we're dealing with our own broken spirit. Could you just say aloha for me this morning? Thank you. Mahalo. I appreciate that. Jesus just, he wanted to get away. He, son of God, son of man. His, his cousin had just been murdered. And he's like, you know what? I just need, I just need a little time with the father. I'm just, I'm going to get away. So he gets in a boat. He crosses the southern edge of the Sea of Galilee like he has so many times. Here's the problem. When you're Jesus, everybody knows where you are. And so when people in the surrounding area and the towns heard that he had crossed over closer to them, they immediately gathered the sick and they went to him. And what I don't see is Jesus going, can you just give me a moment? Have you ever said that? I've said it. I, I said it yesterday. And I knew what I was going to preach today. But that's okay because there's grace for me just like there is for you. And God will help that person, whoever they were. No. He, he didn't. He didn't see. I just need a moment. Have you ever went to somebody for prayer and they've said, that's all? You know, I'm really struggling with my elbow. It's been hurting ever since I played tennis in high school. Could you pray for me? And they're like, your elbow? I've got congestive heart failure. You want me to pray for your elbow? Then you're like, <laughs> great, thank you. I, a person with compassion doesn't take a moment of ministry and use it to tear somebody else down for whatever their trial is. I, I think it could have been easy. I mean, somebody could have came up, Lord, I need healing. And I mean, Jesus could have said, do you not have a clue what I'm going through today? My cousin has been executed, and I know you don't get this. You're a bunch of stupid sheep, but what's happened here? He's the forerunner that prepared the way for me. He's somebody that I loved. He's just been executed. I came to get away from you people, and here are you people. Can't you just imagine Jesus doing that? Not at all. How many could imagine yourself doing that? How many could imagine me doing that? Thank you, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Only one time in all the time that I've known you. Only once. I mean, he didn't. When you have compassion, somebody's brokenness, it pulls that from you. you compassion is pulled. It's just, remember we learned about compassion in November, spagnizomai, Right? Spagnizomai is the Greek word where we're moved with compassion. We have to do something. Jesus, well, I mean, look in Exodus, right? 
Chapter 34, verses 5 through 6. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Of course that's what's going to come out of him. If you hit Jesus, compassion comes out. If you kick him, abounding love gushes forth. If you elbow him in the face, there's mercy. Every time you push at him, you get who he is. And who he is is a gracious, compassionate, loving God. Why would I be surprised in the New Testament that I would see displayed so beautifully who he proclaimed himself to be in the Old Testament? Compassionate. Compassion brings healing. Why did Jesus heal them? He was moved with compassion. I'm here to tell you, if you want to see more people healed that you pray for, don't just do it so that you have a testimony. I'm so sick of that. that people, they're more focused on the testimony than they are on what really took place. Many of you know that John Smith is a friend of our family. He's Emma's buddy. And I mean, he was over at the house again yesterday. And through that, we've got to know, know Joyce Smith and Brian Smith very well. And I love all the things, the doors that the Lord's opening for them to proclaim the goodness of God. But once again, we're talking yesterday for a few moments and she's dropping John off. We're visiting in the driveway and she's like, I don't care about any of this. I want God glorified. I just got my son home. Because if God's glorified all the more, and if more people get to hear about the amazing miracle power of God, that is beautiful. But Joyce wasn't as worried about that as she just wanted her son to live. Compassion isn't about the testimony. It's about the person that needs the healing. That's what it's about. And if you'll find yourself moved with compassion toward others and really let that connect with your heart... You'll see more people that you pray for to be healed. You'll see them receive healing. Here's the thoughts. Jesus' compassion is not based on his circumstances, but on his character. Now, I know that's simple, but we need to remind ourselves it's the same with us. That compassion doesn't, it doesn't uh, rise or lower based upon our circumstances. It should just come out of who we are in Christ Jesus. And number two, our need for healing pulls on the compassion of our Savior. Look at Matthew chapter, I'm going I'm to spend a little more time here. We'll stop with point eight today. I won't get to nine and ten. We'll hit those next week. I mean, getting to point eight, that's not too bad. I did start on number five, but that's a whole nother, whole nother thing. Matthew 20, verses 29 to 34. Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, and a large crowd followed him. Once again, everywhere Jesus goes, there's a crowd. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. Um, in some of the gospel writings, they just focus on one. Remember what his name was? Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. And by the way, Bartimaeus means son of the great one. So wouldn't it be great to be known as the son of the great one while you're blind and living on people's charity? So... Son of the great one and his buddy were sitting by the roadside. They heard that Jesus was going by and they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, 
Oh, we've got more. Jesus stopped, called them, what do you want from me? And what do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and they followed him. Amber, would you go back to the previous slide for just a moment? Let me just share a couple of things that I observe in this. Number one, his disciples and he were leaving where? Jericho. What do you remember about Jericho? The walls fell down. You remember the song? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. We all remember that, right? Do you remember that when they took Jericho, that Joshua was used to prophesy because that city was to never be rebuilt? It was to be kind of an offering to the Lord because the Lord fought the battle for them, showing that he was going to be the one that would provide for them, provide all of the land. It's kind of a first fruits offering, by the way. But leave that unto me. Don't rebuild it. That is mine. And everything else, go and occupy, rebuild, do whatever you need to do. And yet, Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho. Why were they leaving Jericho? Well, because it was ruined. No, it had been completely rebuilt. And Joshua had even prophesied, if anybody rebuilds this city, it'll be at the death of their children. And that's exactly what happened. Because when they rebuilt the gates, the person that rebuilt the city and led the rebuilding of the wall, he poured his sons into the foundation of the gate as a dedication to, to, to foreign gods. He rebuilt the city at the blood of his own children. Just like Joshua prophesied it would happen. So where are you going with this, Pastor Brad? I'm going here. This place wasn't even supposed to be here. And yet Jesus went there because there were people that were there that needed his touch. Jesus will go to places that we're not supposed to be because of his grace and his kindness in our lives. And he goes there and he brings whatever needs to be brought. And even leaving there, we've got two guys that are blind that are at the edge of the gate of Jericho where they're begging people. And as Jesus passes and he says, what do you want? What do you need? And they said, Lord, we want to see. And it said, he had compassion. Spagnizomai. He was moved with compassion. Think about it. Miracles happen when they are birthed in compassion. Miracles happen when they are birthed in compassion. We've hit eight of these concepts now of ways that we, that we receive healing. Next week, we'll start with number nine, where it talks about literally the Holy Spirit gives gifts of healing, or maybe I should say it more specifically, gifts of healings, because it's not just one healing. So he gives gifts of healings. And then number, uh, number 10 next week, it'll be our second point next week, we'll be talking about how God will use words of knowledge and words, words of wisdom to bring healing, okay? How many believe that God's our healer? Yeah. Okay, you getting something out of this? Yeah. Good, about half of us. That's, hey, that's better than normal. That's fantastic. So I wanna walk it out. I wanna walk it out. And I am enjoying digging back into this more and saying, Lord, give me discernment in this person's life or in my life. Give me discernment what needs to be applied from your word here. I want to apply it here.